Chapter One of the Boys' Scouts' First Campfire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Boys' Scouts' First Campfire by Herbert Carter. A halt by the roadside. Tara, tara! Loud and clear sounded the notes of a bugle blown by a very stout lad clad in a new suit of khaki, who was one of a bunch of Boy Scouts tramping wearily along a dusty road. "'Good for you, Bumpus. Can't he just make that horn talk, though?' cried one. "'Sounds as sweet as the church bells at home, fellas,' declared a second. "'Say, Mr. Scoutmaster, does that mean a halt for grub?' a third called out. "'Sure, Giraffe. Brace up, old fellow. You'll have your jaws working right soon now.' and here's a dandy little spring right among the trees how shady and cool it looks thad that's why we kept on for an hour afternoon remarked the boy called thad and who seemed to be a person of some authority when all you scouts wanted to stop and rest you see davy allen here and myself made a note of that same spring the other day when we came along on horseback spying out the lay of the land well now remarked the boy called davy as he threw himself down the stretch. That's what our instruction book says. A true scout always has his eyes and ears open to see and hear everything. The more things you can remember in a store window, after only a minute to look, the further up you are, see? The boy called Thad not only wore a rather seedy and faded scout khaki uniform, while those of all his comrades were almost brand new, but he had several merit badges fastened on the left side of his soft shirt. These things would indicate that Thad Brewster must have been connected with some patrol or troop of Boy Scouts in the town where he formerly lived before his father, dying, left him in charge of the queer old bachelor uncle who was known far and wide among the boys of Scranton as plain Daddy Brewster. Nobody ever understood why, save that he just loved all manner of young people. In fact, it was a memory of the good times which he had enjoyed in the past that influenced Tad to start the ball rolling for a troop of scouts in Scranton. In this endeavor, he found energetic backing, and the Silver Fox Patrol of the troop was now starting out upon its first hike to be gone several days. Several of the eight boys forming this patrol were lagging more or less along the dusty road, for the brisk walk on this summer day had tired them considerably. At the cheery notes of the bugle, blown by Bumpus Hawtree, the stray ones in uniform quickened their pace so as to close up. Of course the stout youth had another name, and a very good one, too, having been christened Cornelius Jasper. But his chums had long ago almost forgotten it, and as Bumpus he was known far and wide. He was a good-natured chap, clumsy in his way, but always willing to oblige and exceedingly curious. Indeed, his mates in the patrol, declared Bumpers, ought to have been born a girl, as he always wanted to poke his nose into anything queer that happened to attract his attention. And this failing, of course, was going to get Bumpus into a lot of trouble sooner or later. His one best quality was a genuine love for music. He could play any sort of instrument, and he had besides a wonderfully sweet high soprano voice which he was always ready to use for the pleasure of his friends. That promised many a happy night around the campfire when once the Silver Fox Patrol 
had become fully established. And this love of music which the fat boy possessed had made the selection of a bugler for Cranford Troop the easiest thing possible. He actually had no competitor. Presently the entire eight lads had thrown themselves down in such positions as seemed to appeal to them. Some lay flat on their stomachs and drank from the overflow of the fine little spring, while others scooped up the water in the cup formed by the palms of their hands. One rather tall boy with flaxen hair and light dreamy blue eyes took out his handkerchief, carefully dusted the ground where he meant to sit, then having deposited himself in a satisfactory manner, he opened the haversack he had been carrying, taking out some of the contents very carefully. "'My, but they're packed smartly, all right, Smitty,' remarked the fellow, who had responded to the name of Davy Jones. "'You certainly take a heap of trouble to have things just so. My duds were just tossed in as they came, threatened to jump on them so as to crowd the bunch in tighter. What are you looking for now?' "'Why, my drinking cup, to be sure,' replied the other lifting his eyebrows in surprise, as if he could not understand why anyone would be so silly as to lie down and drink just like an animal when nice little aluminum collapsible cups could be procured so cheaply. And having presently found what he wanted, he deliberately returned each article to its proper place in the carry-all before he allowed himself the pleasure of a cooling drink. But at least he had one satisfaction, being the possessor of a cup allowed him the privilege of dipping directly into the fountainhead, the limpid spring itself. They called him just plain Smitty, but of course such an elegant fellow had a handle to the latter part of his name. It was Edmund Maurice Travers Smith, but you could never expect a parcel of American boys to bother with such a tremendous tongue-twisting name as that, hence the Smitty. While the whole patrol, taking out the lunch that had been provided, and which one of them, evidently from the south, from the soft tones of his voice, called a snack, were eating, we might as well be making the acquaintance of the rest. The southern lad was named Robert Quayle White. A few of his chums addressed him as plain Bob, but the oddity of the combination appealed irresistibly to their sense of humor, and Bob White it became from that time on. Sometimes they called to him with the well-known whistle of a quail, and he always responded. There was a very tall fellow with a remarkably long neck. Giraffe he had become when years younger, and the name was likely to stick to him even after he got into college. When his attention was called to anything, Conrad Stedman usually stretched his neck in a way that gave him a great advantage over his fellows. He was sometimes a little touchy, but gave promise of proving himself a good scout, being willing to learn, faithful and obliging. Another of the patrol had a rather melancholy look. This was Stephen Bingham. He might have gone to the end of the chapter as plain Steve, but when a little fellow at school, upon being asked his name, he had pronounced it as if a compound word, and ever since he was known as Stephen Bingham. Whenever he felt like sending his companions into fits of laughter, Stephen would show the whites of his eyes and look frightened. He could never find his things and was forever appealing to the others to know whether they had seen some article he had misplaced. Stepan evidently had much to learn before he could qualify for the degree of a first-class scout. The one who seemed to be second in command of the little detachment was a quiet-looking boy. Alan Hollister, 
had been raised after a fashion that, as he said, gave him the bumps of experience. Part of his life had been spent in the Adirondacks and in Maine, so that he really knew by actual participation in the work what the other lads were learning from the books they read. He lived with his mother, said to be a widow. They seemed to have plenty of money, but Alan was often sighing, as though somehow his thoughts turned back to former scenes, and he longed to return to Maine again. Here, then, was the complete roster of the Silver Fox Patrol of Cranford Troop, as called by the secretary, Bob White, at each and every meeting. 1. Thad Brewster, patrol leader and assistant scoutmaster. 2. Alan Hollister, upon whom the responsibility rested after Tad. 3. Cornelius Halltree. 4. Robert Quayle White. 5. Edmund Maurice Travis Smith. 6. Conrad Stedman. 7. Davy Jones. 8. Stephen Bingham. Of course, as the rules of the organization provided, there was a genuine scoutmaster to accompany the boys when possible, and look after their moral welfare, as well as to act as a break upon the natural exuberance of their spirits. This was a young man who was studying medicine with Dr. Calkins in the town of Cranford. Frequently the clever young M.D. could not keep his appointments with the boys. At such times, he had to delegate to Thad his duties. And to tell the truth, when they learned that as the elder doctor was sick himself, their scoutmaster would be unable to accompany them on this, their first real hike and outing, none of the scouts felt very sorry. "'Pretty near time we started again for the lake, isn't it, Tad?' demanded Stepan. "'Something like an hour after they had stopped to break the march with a bite and a cool drink.' "'Oh, please let me finish this little grub,' called out Giraffe, who was tremendously fond of eating. "'It's a shame to waste it. You stopped me from making a fire, you know, Tad, and I fell behind the rest of you that way.' "'I never saw such a fellow. Always crazy to set fire to things,' remarked Davy Jones." He'll burn the whole world up some day. I expect to set the river on fire when I get in business, grinned Giraffe. Give the signal to fall in, Mr. Bugler. But I say, where's Bumpus anyway? asked the acting scoutmaster, looking around. Oh, he went wandering away some time ago, remarked Davy. But here's his horn. Let's see if I can blow the old thing. He put the shining instrument to his lips, puffed out his cheeks, and emitted a frightful groaning sound. The rest of the scouts had just started to laugh when there came a strange rattling noise from the woods nearby, as though a landslide might be in progress, and accompanying the racket they heard a feeble voice that must belong to Bumpus, though no one recognized it, calling out, Help, help! Oh, somebody come quick and save me! With that call, every member of the scout patrol leaped erect, staring at one another in dismay. End of chapter 1 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas.